on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He was one of the most notorious gangsters in US history. Under his reign of terror, James Whitey Bulger and the Winter Hill Gang ran South Boston for decades. Always proud of his Irish American heritage, he formed links with the IRA, shipping weapons to Ireland to help the Republican cause. And he managed to get $1 million for the provisional IRA, basically by robbing drug dealers in South Boston and the wider Massachusetts area. And that was used to attempt to smuggle a large cache of arms into Ireland. But for years, he lived a double life as an FBI informant, something he always denied. That's an uncomfortable truth for the local FBI and for the FBI as a whole, it would seem. The poster will tell you Bulger was a major crime figure dealing in drugs, loan sharking and gambling, that he's violent and carries a knife. But what it doesn't say is that Mr. Top 10 worked for the Bureau as a prize informant with what some agents say was carte blanche to commit any crime short of murder. After a 16-year manhunt, Bulger was arrested in 2011, but was killed in a maximum security prison in 2018. The details still coming in on this. This is a man who lived a violent life, had a violent history, and now it appears he has come to a very violent end. James Whitey Bulger, as you said, multiple sources telling us that he was killed at that facility, that federal facility in uh, West Virginia. I'm Tabitha Monaghan, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by presenter of the Bell Tell podcast, Kieran Dunbar, to take a look at the life of the Irish American gangster, James Whitey Bulger. The nephew of notorious mobster James Whitey Bulger has blamed prison officers for his death. Kieran, what do we know about Bulger's murder? Well, three men have been charged over his murder, his murder in prison. They were Freddie Gias. Paulie de Colaguero and Sean McKinnon. They had all connections with uh, organised crime, I suppose, in the Boston area. And they've all been charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Um, it was obviously, just to remind people of the details, Whitey Bulger had been at this, this prison, this penitentiary, as they say, in, in the US, for less than 12 hours before he was murdered. And he was beaten to death within minutes of his cell door sliding open at 6 a.m. on the 30th of October 2018. He had he was wheelchair bound by this stage, so he had no chance of defending himself and he suffered um, very extreme injuries in that attack. Um, so it was clearly, uh, it was an attempt not to beat him up, but to, to, to murder him. And it was a successful attempt. So those three individuals have been charged with, with that first degree murder. 
Since his death in 2018, there has been questions about how this could have happened. I mean, he was in a high security prison. It was, and people have brought that up. And I mean, people have said, listen, he was, he was a rat. And what, you know, clearly he was going to be a target of people connected to organized crime in prison. And he was sent to a prison which federal authorities would have known contained Boston area type gangsters. There's also indications that we know that Sean McKinnon had told his mother that they knew Whitey Bulger somehow was coming to the prison and that they were going to kill him. And he indicated that he was a cellmate of 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 an organized crime figure from the Boston area who would have felt a special responsibility to murder um, Whitey Bulger. So, I mean, uh, got a columnist with the Boston Globe and who's and who's written a biography of Bulger, Kevin Cullen, he said any organised crime guy or mafia guy would have a beef with Whitey because he was a rat, as I said, an informer. So he was certainly put in a very strange position. Now, and, and, and why was he sent to this particular prison? He could have been sent anywhere, of course, uh, in the United States. So, It does. I smell a rat. Tell me about Bulger's background. How did he get involved in crime in the first place? Well, I suppose it's the classic uh, street uh, initiation to um, organised crime. He was born in 1929. He grew up in South Boston, in Southie, as as it's known in in, in Boston and in Connemara, as it happens. Um, He was known as Whitey because of his light blonde hair. It's understood, we understood that he hated the nickname and preferred to be known as Jimmy. And yet this name Whitey Bulger has stuck. Here we are talking about Whitey Bulger. He was always known for his his short temper, his brutality, his cruelty and his, you know, his, his propensity for violence in the street. And uh, he, he, he he had a long career as one of Boston's most high-profile gangsters. He headed up the Irish-American Winterhill mob uh, from the early 70s until the mid-80s. Um, but he was all—he always was this. He had this double life as a, 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 as 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 an informer. Uh, with the FBI or he had a relationship with the FBI and what he would do is he would feed the Bureau information about rival criminals so it worked for him. His handler was a man called John Connolly who was a neighbour of Bulger from his youth. Uh, He's the son of John Connolly from My Cullen. Um, I should be careful there because I'm sure there's more than one John uh, Connolly from My Cullen. Um, He was later sentenced to 40 years in prison uh, over a conspiracy to murder with the judge saying he'd crossed over to the dark side. So both this relationship between Connolly and Bulger, they seemed to use each other and Bulger became an informer and Connolly became a gangster. And of course, the this relationship between the two is uh, famously portrayed in the film uh, Black Mass starring Johnny Depp, which was obviously directly uh, based on Bulger. You said to me, this is a family secret, and you gave it up to me, boom. Don't look to John, because he's not gonna help you. You spill the secret family recipe today, maybe you spill about me tomorrow. Is that something maybe that's a possibility? I was just saying. You were just saying. Just saying gets people sent to Allenwood. Just saying could get you buried real quick. 
So that's that's the sort of thing he he he, he would be up to. He'd be, he he was a, he was a basic gangster, I suppose. He murdered his rivals, the, the rackets, etc. He was a drug dealer, uh, and and they robbed things. I used to live in South Boston, and uh, you know, back in the in the late eighties, early nineties, and it was run by Whitey Bulger. Yeah. The town was literally run for 50, 60 years by, by organized crime. And uh, I had a boxing program there. And one day I was teaching and two guys showed up and said, I owed them 2,500 bucks. For what? Uh, you know, you're living here, you're doing business in our town. Um, I never paid them, never paid them. You know, 2,500 bucks, I was 21 years old. You might as well ask me for 25,000. Right. I didn't have 2,500 bucks. So finally came down to, I got a call at my house one day and they said, either pay us the money or you know, that's it, or whatever. I don't know. I didn't want to find out what the or would be, <laughs> so I, I I left and went back to Vegas. It's really just your basic day to day gangster, but he did seem to have that little bit extra. By all accounts, he was kind of this mythical person as well. How was he perceived, especially within the neighborhood? There was this kind of was it a Robin Hood like character about him? Ah, well, look, you know. This is this is the classic organized crime thing, isn't it? You know, he was he was uh, reputedly have it have he gave out turkeys on Thanksgiving to people. You might remember the famous um, Harlem uh, gangster Bumpy, uh, the heroin dealer, who also gave out the turkeys. And this was um, sort of a, a classic organized crime thing that they are sticking up for the ordinary people against the, the system, which is against them, etc. It's a very romanticized view of, of organized crime because, of course, the people who suffered from organized crime uh, were the people who they were taking money off, um, the, the local businesses and employers who were suffering from rackets, and, of course, the people murdered and beaten up, etc., and terrorized were the people in these working-class uh, communities in South Boston. So, yes, there are these... Myths about Whitey Whitey Bulger as a, a an Irish Robin Hood. I think probably in Whitey's case, he would always have been more feared than respected in Southie. You spoke about the FBI and the relationship with him because he was an informant. Was he essentially given free reign to commit whatever crimes he wanted? Again, the ins and outs of that are, are, are somewhat are somewhat complicated. Uh, you know, John Connolly would have always uh, said that Whitey Bulger was a, a, a very valuable. Um, a very valuable informant. Now, Whitey specialised in giving uh, the FBI information on the Italian mafia. Now, the Italian mafia, because of the films, because of the reputation, because of the mystique, the FBI were more worried about the Italian mafia and their overall influence in the United States of America than they were with, you know, basically sophisticated street gangs in South Boston. So if if Whitey, Whitey Bulger you know, restricted his gangsterism to South Boston, to these working class areas, and he could give them information about the wider Italian mafia, then yes, to an extent he could get away with it. But he had, he had a help from his handler in, in the FBI, John Connolly. And I think maybe Connolly did enough, if not a conspiracy, but created enough confusion over Whitey Bulger in the FBI to put them off the scent. I mean, he did in the end end up on top of their most wanted list. So clearly they didn't forget about him altogether. Kieran Whitey Bulger ended up going on the run for 16 years. How did that happen in the first place? Well, I mean, the FBI, after he, he, he had been a federal informer for 15 years and 
you know, a blind eye was turned to many of his crimes in exchange for his information on the mafia. Uh, that arrangement helped him conceal up to 19 murders, learn the identities of witnesses who later turned up dead, and even send an innocent man to prison. Um, but it also led to a sweeping re-evaluation for the rules of dealing with informers, so eventually a change of guard, a change of regime, or a change of heart in the FBI led to the decision to arrest um, Whitey Bulger. But uh, an FBI agent on his uh, uh, payroll answering to him, tipped him off just before his arrest in 1995. Now that led to him being on the run for 15 years and no one knew where it is. I remember working in Galway and people always thought, is he in Ross Muck somehow? Is he somewhere in Connemara? And people had this romantic uh, vision of where Whitey Bulger could be. He'd been spotted uh, in various places in the the world. Uh, But he had stashed away millions of dollars in bank accounts and safety deposit boxes and that allowed him to survive whilst being on the run. He also had a long-term companion, his long-term girlfriend, a dental hygienist by the name of Catherine Elizabeth Gregg, who who helped him, I suppose, survive being on the run. In the end, it it was discovered that he was in Santa Monica in, in California, and he never even... He went out of the house, he went for walks, he went to the library, he did things, and no one actually recognized him until a Swedish beauty queen by the name of Anna Bjorn's daughter was back home in Iceland and she watched the news and saw this Whitey Bulger character in The Most Wanted and realized it was her next door neighbor. And that's what led to the end uh, of Whitey Bulger. After his arrest Wednesday in California, authorities found some $800,000 in cash in Bulger's Santa Monica apartment. Still, in court, he asked for a public defender. Can you afford a lawyer, the judge asked? Well, I could if you gave me my money back, Bulger shot back. I want to talk about the links with the IRA. He was very proud of his Irish heritage, and that would also lead to him being a Republican sympathiser. Yes, he was. Now, again, he always portrayed himself as this blood uh, son of Southie, where his father actually came from Newfoundland, um, and they had been in Newfoundland of Wexford's descent for a very long time, the Bulgers. His his mother ha- had more recent Irish descent, but he, he clearly reveled in this South Boston Irish-American life that we see portrayed in, in the films like The Departed, like Black Mass, and like, like many other films, w- we see this sort of um, Irish-American existence over there. And yes, he 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 used his sort of Irish patriotism and sympathy for the IRA to perhaps to to ingratiate himself with the local community, to give him sense a sense of 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 legitimacy, maybe even a purpose. But he does seem quite genuine in in his sympathy for the IRA, and he did turn it into, I suppose, concrete action. How did he do that? Well. He began donating money and guns to the IRA as early as the mid-1970s. He had an associate called Pat Nee, who again had links to Connemara. Like many other characters in this story, he was actually born in Ross Muck and had emigrated when he was a young man. And he he, he was part of the links to the IRA as well. Um, He loved the cause of the IRA. I suppose it might be one of these rebel music kind of things. And again, that has a great presence in, in, in Boston. 
and he felt that this struggle, I suppose, as I said, given some meaning. So he had meetings with the IRA chief of staff, um, um, Joe Cahill, and he managed to get $1 million uh, for the provisional IRA, basically by robbing drug dealers in South Boston and the wider Massachusetts area. And that was used to attempt to smuggle a large cache of arms into Ireland. Now, we, of course, we always talk about the arms uh, imports which failed. Clearly, a lot didn't. The IRA, obviously, were w- equipped for many, many years with um, weapons which came from the, the United States of America one way or the other. But they attempted to ship a large shipment of weapons on a, sh- on a boat known as the Valhalla, uh, and it was to meet uh, an Irish boat, uh, by the name of the Marita Ann, coming out of Kerry. And they did successfully, in the Atlantics, transfer the weapons from one boat to the other. Uh, but an informant, uh, Sean O'Callaghan, in the Southern Command of the IRA, he was aware of this and he betrayed this plot and the Irish Navy intercepted the Marita Ann off the coast of Kerry, and, uh, seizing these weapons and arresting the crew, one of whom was the future uh, Sinn Féin TD, uh, Martin Ferris. Um, so that was probably the most uh, famous plot involving Whitey Bulger and arms. But of course, that arms shipment got through, but as, 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 as history and the practical reality of the North tells us that many other weapons must have got through one way or the other. Garen, there was also rumours and speculation about Whitey Bulger's involvement in one of the biggest art heists in history and also links with the IRA again. Can you tell me about that? Yes, it's, it's a rumour that he was involved in one of the biggest art heists of all time. Now, this happened on the early hours of March the 18th as uh, St. Patrick's Day parade celebrations were winding down in the city. I suspect many of them were still in full flow. Um, it was carried out by two men dressed as police officers who handcuffed museum guards and uh, walked around the galleries as it happens quite cool for approximately 81 minutes and um, they stole a number of large pieces uh, of very valuable pieces of art and despite a one ten million pound reward none of these works have ever been seen in public again the name on the street associated with that heist whether it's true or not I cannot confirm but always was James Whitey Bulger and again another rumour that he passed these paintings on to the IRA to be used as bargaining chips having said that they've never been seen again Kieran, why are people still so interested in James Whitey Bulger? Why are we still talking about Whitey Bulger? This is a man who's been convicted to strangling a, a young woman to death and is strongly suspected of strangling another young woman to death never mind uh, you, know, you know, killing innocent people in the course of his gangsterism and killing many of his rivals, etc. And some of whom in extremely violent and vicious and cruel and psychopathic ways. So what is this human attraction we have to these gangsters? Why do we make films about them? Part of the human condition, we're somehow fascinated by these characters who live outside what is termed acceptable and who do things that we would never ourselves dream of doing, but yet still seem to have this romance because they lived outside the normal rules of society. You know, I don't have the answer to that, but I think we'll always be talking about people like Whitey Bulger. My thanks to Kieran Dunbar for joining me today. I'm Tabitha Monaghan and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, recorded by Gavin Hennessy with sound design by John Smith. I'm Tabitha Monaghan and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Mary Carroll with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from ABC, CNN, NBC, CNBC and independent.ie.